Engaged, the podcast. What is it like to be well-aged? Good time. Old age is miserable. Going old is freedom. Old age is dealing with loss. Old age is fun. I'm always tired. Today I'd like to talk about a question that we usually try to avoid. How long do we expect to live? How long do we want to live? I want to talk about adding years to your life and life to your years. Ha, okay. Here's the story about a man who heard that a mixture of gunpowder and maple syrup was good for you and would add years to your life. And he did live a good long life, taking his potion of gunpowder and maple syrup every day, so it must have worked. But when he died, he blew a fifteen-foot hole in the crematorium. (laughs) So how long would you like to live? I am just ready to celebrate my 87th birthday. Bev is 84. We both agreed that we had managed to live well past our best-before date. When the two of us were born, we were expected to shuck this mortal coil in our late sixties. Well, we've gained at least twenty years on that. Even at current life expectancy rates, we should have heard the grim reaper knocking at the door well before this. I checked assorted actuarial tables, and according to them, we should have turned up our toes in the late in our late seventies or or eighties. Well, now I'd really like to be able to tell you. I, I'd really like to be able to tell you that Bev and I have lived this long because of all the wonderful things we've done to preserve our health. I'd like to say that we've kept our minds focused on noble thoughts, that we ate only the most nutritious foods and exercised daily. <sighs> Except it would be a bald-faced lie. We ate pretty much the same thing as most Canadians in our economic bracket, and we completely flunked out on exercise. Bev and I don't have an athletic gene between us. As for thinking noble thoughts, well, if you can tell me what a noble thought is, I'll tell you if I thunk any of them. The big reason why we and our assorted cronies are still going strong in our eighth decade is that we are the first generation in history that were raised by parents that had a scientifically informed attitude toward life and health. There were trained doctors on hand when we were born, doctors who washed their hands before delivering babies. Imagine that. Our parents knew quite a lot about sanitation and nutrition. My older sisters told me that I made them promise not to tell my friends that I had to take a bath every Saturday night. My mother wouldn't let me go barefoot in the spring until all the snow was melted, and we had to swallow a tablespoon of cod liver oil every day in the winter. 
we also had to eat vegetables, all of which, as a nine-year-old boy, I considered way over the top. How come I had such an unreasonable mother? I was totally embarrassed by this unfair treatment until I found out one day that all my friends also had similar inconsiderate parents. Every one of the kids in my grade four class suffered a similar persecution, and nobody seemed to feel sorry for us. Nobody. We, we should have made signs and picketed or something. But we all survived nine years and went on to ten. I, I've lost track of all of them, so I don't know how they made out, but I, I do know that we were born in a most fortuitous time, that we had better care than any previous generation. Now I'm wondering how long my own kids will live. I, I'll bet they break the 100 mark. Nowadays, you get a letter from the Queen if you hit the century mark. Come to think of it, Queen Elizabeth herself is about to break the 100 barrier. I wonder if she will get a letter from herself. But by the time my kids get there, 100 will be so common, all, they'd, all, all they'll get is probably a letter from the tax department uh, taxing them on, uh, for living so long. So, now, now the big question. How long would you like to live? Eh? The subject comes up from time to time at mealtimes at our residence. The most, the most common response is, I'm ready to go any time, or, or words to that effect. We have several people living here who have passed the century mark, and they are admired, but they're not envied. One of them, a woman who looks as if she's in her 80s, is more lively and wide awake than most 75-year-olds, and she's way past 100. One day in exercise class, I found myself sitting next to a guy who was 103, and he was doing the exercises more energetically than I was, which... I thought was most inconsiderate of him. My little dinner table survey of friends and family didn't turn up anyone who wanted to just stay alive to keep off from dying. Sure, there are, there are stories of people who kept on with a rich and full life until they, until they were well into their late 90s. My favorite example is Grandma Moses, who became a famous painter at the age of 80. Now, but those people, you see, they're, they're the exception, and such unusual lives just don't help us ordinary folks too much. Here in Canada, most people retire at 65. The majority will spend 10 to 20 years trying to keep themselves busy, and then another 5 to 20 years still in relatively good health, enjoying friends and family more than ever. Retirement magazines and TV and film, they advertise a variety of pastimes, golfing, going to the theater, scuba diving. It's all based on the view of old age as a time of recreation. They seem to imply that the main purpose of life after retirement is to keep from being bored. The younger seniors often find themselves working really hard at having a good time, frantically filling up the time. One elderly gentleman said to me in the elevator one day, I just have to keep busy. That's all. I just have to keep busy. Well, you could tell he wasn't having much fun doing it. Most retirement homes bring in singers and dancers and crafters, all of them designed to keep the old folks amused. 
Nothing wrong with that, except that most people get a little tired of non-stop entertainment. My mother sure did. They bring in all kinds of choirs and musicians and things to keep you amused, my mother told me. But nobody needs you for anything. Those that have a rich and rewarding life after retirement tend to be people who discover that giving to others is the ultimate source of self-fulfillment. Not of money, necessarily, although that helps. Giving of themselves. They find out where they are needed. Sometimes it takes a bit of research. But most of them find a spot where they can make a creative contribution to some group or agency. And that's why you find all those gray heads carrying on the work of churches and service clubs and volunteering at hospitals. They have discovered that the key to finding meaning and enjoyment in old age is involvement with community, with other people. I really appreciate the wrinkled pioneers who are volunteering at the hospital. In our hospital, which I have to go to quite often, they all wear red coats, and they help me find my way in that huge building. You can tell just by looking at those oldsters that they enjoy what they are doing. I sing in a choir with Hank, who had a, had a stroke some years ago. Well, that pretty well paralyzed one side of his body. Several days a week, Hank is volunteering at the hospital, serving food at one of the kiosks. At other times, he's a house or a dog sitting for folks going on vacation somewhere. And Thursdays and Sundays, he sings in our church choir. Yes, he says in his delightful Dutch accent, life is good and I'm having a good time. Hank has found a vocation. Not a job. A vocation is something that you do because you believe it's important, that you are called to do it, not because it pays you a salary, and certainly not because it will earn you a certificate or an honor. Most people discover that a vocation is also fun. Not a vacation, but a vocation. In her landmark 1963 book, The Fountain of Age, Betty Friedan pointed to a vocation as a key element in successful aging. Since her book has been published, there's been a bundle of research that shows a vocation helps you live longer, healthier, and happier, as much as 10 years by some estimates. For me, writing the book Well-Aged has been a vocation. I didn't do it for the money. I mean, writing nonfiction in Canada pays peanuts in royalties. I could do better pumping gas or stocking shelves at Walmart if it was money I was after. I thoroughly enjoyed the work on this book and all the people I met in the process, and just as I am enjoying doing this podcast. And I felt I was making a real contribution to helping folks understand aging. A bunch of geezer volunteers gather at the church several times a week to serve coffee and sandwiches along with friendship and care to a group of homeless people. You ask them why, and they tell you, well, they've come to know and enjoy the people that they serve, even though all those people have personal issues that keep them on the street. They're broken people, Tom said to me, but they're my friends. Of course, it's not all seniors. Some are just putting in time, like Ivana. She said, I play cribbage a lot. I don't really like cribbage. I do it just to keep my mind off other things. Many seniors spend endless hours watching TV or playing games on their computers. 
I turn the TV up as loud as I can, one of them said to me. That way I don't think about getting old and dying. I've heard that sort of statement many times, and it always makes me sad. People who have nothing to do and nobody to do it with, and they are slowly dying of loneliness, which makes them so susceptible to COVID-19 and anything else that's going around. For them, this stage of life can be a long, lonely, and painful time. None of those distractions shut out the loneliness. And yes, you can die of loneliness. It's an illness that has reached epidemic proportions and may be responsible for more pain and death than any other. It is quite possible that loneliness kills more seniors than anything else, especially very old seniors in nursing homes. It's possible that loneliness caused many of the deaths during the pandemic, deaths that were attributed to COVID. Popular culture tends to describe old age as a time when you're inevitably slithering down the slow, slimy slide into senility. Well, that's not true. Sure, some things slow down in your body and your mind, physical things mostly, but our mental sparkle doesn't necessarily head south. Medical science has learned that there are two things that determine how well you will age, your personality and your relationships. Yes, it's how you feel about yourself and how you relate to other people that determines, more than anything else, how long and how well you will live. The medical establishment is very slow in recognizing this. Almost any health care book or article or, or speech that you encounter always comes down on telling you it's exercise. Well, yes, exercise is important. But it is less important than personality and relationship. Those two factors are at the top of the list for when it comes to living the last two decades of your life. I find that's reassuring because, well, I've never done an exercise I didn't hate. I've never enjoyed athletics of any kind, and I have especially not enjoyed mindless exercise. So deduct a couple of years from my lifespan for bad behavior. I want to live till I die and not spend the time I have left going nowhere on an exercise bike. Oh, but don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a really good, bad example of how us seniors should be taking care of our health, especially us older seniors. The healthcare gurus don't know what it's like to be 80 or 90 years old, and most of them only consider the physical aspects of aging. The whole healthcare system is geared up to celebrate the robust elders who walk five miles before breakfast. Most of the healthcare workers just can't accept that there are people who don't enjoy exercise and for whom a few extra years of life isn't much of an incentive. The medical people who measure pulse rates and blood pressure and such like have a focus on the physical body, which is vitally important, of course. But they forget that human beings are so much more. What goes on in the brain is far more important than what goes on in your gut. Those who have a good balance of social relationships and a good self-image and who also do a reasonable amount of physical exercise, they're going to do the best job of being fully alive until they die. 
When my friend Helmut had a heart attack about ten years ago, he went on a health binge. Health, food, and exercise. That's all he did. He'd walk till he almost dropped, and then rest up so that he could walk some more. He hated the health food his wife gave him, but he ate it anyway. Five years later, he dropped dead. Poor guy. I, I don't think he enjoyed a single day of it. Helmut is the other kind of really good, bad example. Somewhere between Helmut's compulsive exercise and my compulsive sloth lies the choice most of us need to make. Staying alive for a long time is a good goal if you are actually living. If all you do is to keep the old heart pumping and the lungs breathing, you've grabbed the short end of the stick. Our years of senior life need a kind of a devil-may-care attitude, the refusal to take much of anything very seriously, and the ability to laugh. Those who live well during their older years are the ones who catch a vision of a purpose, a calling, a reason for knocking themselves out to, to make a difference in the world. In other words, a vocation. We're not stumbling along looking at the broken rocks at our feet. We, something, we see something good on the horizon, so that's where we're heading. Did you see the movie The Man of La Mancha? That broken-down, delusional Don Quixote sang about his vocation on his deathbed, that he was willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. In other words, live till he died. And the world will be better for this, Don Quixote sang, because crazy old coots like you and me dared to dream the impossible dream. An older senior's life is worth living, and older seniors' life is worth celebrating. Older seniors are important, and our lives matter. Life in these last decades can be rich, worthwhile, fulfilling, yes, and even fun. There's a chapter about long life and aging in my book, Well-Aged, Making the Most of Your Platinum Years. I know a bunch of you were given that book as a Christmas gift. Delightful. If you are one of the old, old, and you're wondering where and how to spend the last few decades of your life, that book would be useful for you. Or if you're one of the younger seniors, well, it's never too soon to give that question some careful consideration. If you expect to be old someday, you need to read that book so the whole thing doesn't sneak up on you. There are things you can do to prepare. The book title is Well-Aged. It's in the bookstores now, and you can order it online. You can find the Well-Aged podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or, or go to the Douglas and McIntyre website. Search for Well-Aged. You'll find not just the current issue, but all the previous ones as well. In the meantime, don't forget to pick up a copy of my book. I'm delighted at the way so many people received the book as a gift this Christmas. The title is Well-Aged, Making the Most of Your Platinum Years. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.